0: Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I talked with Seth Partnow, who is the managing editor of the Nylon Calculus, longtime friend of the show, and we went through a lot of different topics. Um, you know, the Spurs, continuing dominance, the just how the kind of the top of the Western Conference looks, and one of the more interesting conversations we had in this is just what a... Well, I kind of started calling a refocusing, would do for teams. And so it's not really a tanking, but it's just if teams like, let's say, the Wizards or the Pelicans just decided that they weren't going to focus on this year because they were falling out of it for whatever reason, just what that would look like. And so we go through that for a series of different teams and kind of go through the thought process. And of course, for those of you who listen to other podcasts I've done with Seth, it goes on other topics like you would expect. And I was really happy with it. It runs about an hour 15, which is actually kind of short for Real Gym Radio right now, and I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I feel like as as important as what the Warriors have done so far is, I feel like the other storyline that's, that's getting a little bit less attention than maybe it deserves is how insanely great the Spurs have been.
1: Well, I think, first of all, in honor of, like, you know, heel turns and, and, and bombast, which, you know, uh, hashtag Clay Thompson— as entertaining as what the warriors have done i'm have you know importance anyway uh, notable
0: I, let's say notable
1: yeah notable yeah so uh, apologies for that well actually but that's, you know
0: that's that's fair considering what i said
1: yeah <laughs> so i oh, sorry go uh, please continue but so
0: like the the spurs they're combining obviously they've been a, a very good offense but they're also they've been otherworldly on defense so far
1: yeah i think to some extent i think that the the numbers slightly overstate how good they've been i think you know opponents missing open shots is kind of an, an indicator of of maybe running a little bit good on defense and the spur that's that's something the spurs have going for them that said even if you know it's it takes them from like a 94 defensive rating to like a 90 you know 96 97 so it's still like best in the league by a good bit it's just that good bit is slightly less than than you know the vast chasm especially now that you know boston gave up what 120 tonight so The Spurs are going to be the only team with a defensive rating only under 100, and it's going to be well under 100.
0: Yeah, it's going to be—it's interesting also because we've seen teams like Miami kind of come back to earth a little bit. I mean, obviously they're still doing well defensively, but I think that the Spurs, them coming back to earth, is putting them at a number that's probably even maybe a little bit better than where the Warriors were last year, which was remarkable.
1: Sure. And the, the thing to say about the Spurs is this is something that wasn't the case last year, but was two and three years ago. Is it the, it doesn't matter who we put on the court, we're going to whomp you kind of thing. You know, Duncan sat out tonight. The game they, you know, admittedly it was Philly, but they won by 51 without Manu, Duncan, and, and Kawhi. And, and, you know, it's, they're kind of getting back to the point where, all right, well, if, if Jonathan Simmons is going to be the guy who's going to take it to you. Jonathan Simmons is going to take it to you. And, you know, he's obviously he's a guy that we both, you know, liked at Summer League and talked about. But at the same time, he's, you know, the 14th man is coming in and kind of, and, and kind of doing things. That's, uh, you know, dare we say Spursy.
0: It is. And what I think makes them a little bit different than the Warriors is that the bench combinations that they have are actually kind of potent in their own right. The, the Warriors are deep. Like they have guys that they can plug and play, but you can't do kind of the magic that they can do where they can play five non starters and run you.
1: Yeah. Just the, some of that is the luxury of having, you know, guys like Diao and, and, and Ginobili off the bench that, that you know, are, are probably better individual players, but also since they, they've had kind of the flat playing time thing for, you know, years now that that's just kind of part of what they do and so it's it, people are ready for that and p- by people I mean the, the players on that team are kind of ready for for those responsibilities like okay we're not just holding the fort until like the the main guys come back we are the main guys
0: yeah and when I've watched the Spurs I haven't seen it where they're playing with like this like sense of urgency like oh we need to make a statement early season they're just better than everyone they're playing
1: yeah, I think um, I think Kevin Arnowitz, uh I think the term he used might have been mechanistic, and I think that's 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 right. Like you know, just this dominating defensive team with nobody gambling. Not, not <laughs> it doesn't even seem like anyone's. I'm paraphrasing uh, paraphrasing K here, but it's it's uh kind of well put. Is you know, no one's really even like jumping. It seems like they're just kind of always in the right right place and smothering you
0: yeah and it, it to a point it's a little bit of a shame that they and the, that the spurs and the warriors could only play like in in the, they wouldn't be playing in the finals but at the same point that does build a level of intrigue just in terms of the possibility because these teams haven't faced each other in the playoff series since the warriors got semi close to beating them you know semi close might be a little bit charitable but got closer than i think people give them credit for in 2013
1: yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's certainly the the matchup that people most want to see this year. Uh, with due respect to the the Cleveland, you know, Christmas Day game. That's the, the the Spurs Warriors, just because it's it's very much. I mean, you know, the the, uh, the 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 Warriors offense versus the Spurs defense is is you know the as close as we're going to see this year to you know irresistible force versus immovable object. And so just kind of seeing which one gives the first time they play. And though it's, it's, it, wh- whichever one comes out on top, that's going to be a narrative, doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily indicate what, how it'll work out when they, when it's best four of seven in, you know, in May, which is, you know, the, what, what everyone's really looking forward to. And it's kind of like the, it's going to be the moves and counter moves of, of a playoff series.
0: And what's kind of fortunate for me about what's going on is that the Spurs doing this well is reducing the chance that we get kind of the disappointment of them kind of being in weird spots in the bracket. If they're 1-2, and two, that doesn't mean, you know, the Spurs are guaranteed to make it to the conference finals. We've seen what's happened before, but it certainly makes it a more easy path than what they had last year.
1: Sure. And also just the fact that, you know, there's just less real, unless something changes for uh, some other teams, They're they're just... Aren't are the aren't the kind of you know dangerous competitors up and down the Western Conference like we saw last year?
0: Yeah, that's actually one of the one of the big storylines of this year is just that the I mean the Thunder are still looking good, and when they've had their whole complement healthy, they've been good. But just the, really beyond that, I don't see any team that's a clear cut let's say title contender.
1: Yeah, I I actually saw the Rockets in person on on Monday and. <laughs> You know they they played hard for Denver was was winning handily for most of the game and and Houston kind of played hard for you know a couple minutes and because they're they have more talent than Denver they almost came back and won but just like effort is is something that that is there in ninety five percent of games and so I don't like to say well they just didn't play hard but really Houston it, for large you know like war, large portions of that game and for many games is just not playing hard and that's you know it's not good
0: and it's that's also scary for them because they're looking they're on the precipice of such an important offseason that you like we kind of had these ideas of you know the best case scenarios you and I have talked about that before but now they're in this place where they have Dwight Howard is going to have a player option which I think almost everybody expects him to climb they have Terrence Jones and Donatas Monte Yunus, who are going to be restricted free agents, and then they have Ty Lawson's non-guaranteed season, which is another whole conversation. About I, I, I,
1: I'd say it, unless something changes. I think there's a certain guarantee about that. Um, if, 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 you take my meaning, that I, 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 think that yeah.
0: Well, I mean, he's I, been I, one of the worst players in the league so far this year.
1: Yeah, it's 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 been really that's been really disappointing. I think that you know, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I have a hard time seeing this team kind of coming out of the all-star break with the same roster that that they head into, you know, the the trade deadline with.
0: Yeah. I I think that's definitely the, I feel like that's likely now, especially when you consider that the issue, as far as I can tell it, the biggest issue is effort. And so that means that shaking up the coach is obviously a part of that, but you kind of need to start thinking these bigger things because if you don't, then it's going to start coming at you.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, you don't want to put yourself in people's heads, but if it's, if, if it's a group of people that don't like being around each other, then switching up some of the people is, is kind of a necessity. And that's, you know, the good thing about, you know, what, uh, what, what Maury has done in terms of, you know, collecting players on, in good portions of their career on reasonable contracts and stuff like that is, you know, there are moves to be made if it comes to that. So it's not like they're not a team like I think we'll also talk about New Orleans probably, that, you know, where it's like, ooh, what do we do? How do we get out of this? There's there's we have to pick the from the best of bad options. There's actual kind of good options that, that Houston will have when when and if and more likely win I at this point I think the time comes to to actually perform some surgery on that roster.
0: Yeah, and what is also going to help them is that right now there are very few clear-cut sellers and there are a lot of teams that could justifiably consider themselves buyers, especially with a lot of the Houston assets that are kind of smaller priced guys. You know, it's not they're not these players like let's say conceptually DeMarcus Cousins where it's like, "Okay, we have to if we're going to get this player, we have to basically change everything that we're doing." With a guy like let's say Terrence Jones, you don't have to you're not giving up the farm for him but you know maybe you're giving up pieces you want to think about and that is an in-season decision that teams are more comfortable and more used to making
1: sure and i don't i i don't even think that the buyer seller um dichotomy is necessarily i think you know it's it's you know it's it's going to be you know lateral moves for fit and stuff like that so maybe they say all right we need a you know we need some better backcourt play and so you know if it's Jones or Mati then, you know, with, with all the point guards that there are in the league, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's a move. Just throwing a name out there, like, you know, maybe it's like, you know, a Goran Dragon is a, is a target. And I don't know. I think that, that either of those players would be interesting in Miami, just completely, you know, making stuff up. So I haven't, I haven't researched like what, what would be needed to make that, that, that trade legal or something like that. But especially if, Miami is, and, and you and Nate have talked about this a little bit, Miami, uh, certainly, at least at the coaching level, doesn't seem totally sold on Hassan White side, so maybe a guy like, like Mota Yunus is, is someone they see as more of a, a fit going forward than kind of preparing for that that eventuality or something well, like that. And,
0: and what's fascinating about that I hadn't even really considered the possibility of either of those guys going to Miami is that they have really low cap holds. So you don't have that you don't have that situation with Miami that so many other guys do where it's like, "Oh, well they can't, you know, they can't pay them in the same way." These guys are Are going to those, you know, if you have Monty Unis, that's no real impediment to whether it's keeping Whiteside using cap space or whether it's signing whoever else that they they get because you never write Miami off for anybody anymore. They're a team that can can be there. And um, one team that is not in this mix but that I think is, is kind of lingering in all of this is Cleveland because I think they've done a really good job considering what they've been missing.
1: Sure. And, you know, it's, it's, I think last year, a lot of people sort of learned their lesson last year about overreacting to kind of early season foibles of a team that isn't complete yet. If, if that team that isn't complete yet has, you know, LeBron operating in regular season cruise mode. Uh, and so, and so people are rightly, I think, expecting kind of, and, you know, they're already either fourth in the league, I believe, in, in, in net rating and, and, you know, having, you know, they've had their, their, you know, their second, their second or third best player has played zero minutes. So, yeah. And, you know, they're also in a situation where since nobody else in the East is really showing a whole lot that it's, you know, they there's, there's no call or reason to either panic or rush or or anything like that.
0: Yeah, they're in a really good spot because not only do they have the confidence that they can, you know, they can make it out of the East wherever they're seated, but right now they're the bygone favorite to be the first seed, so they don't even have yeah. to think about that.
1: Exactly. And that's, you know, this, this like it seems like every night there's, there's like kind of one team, what about the, and then they, the team you're like, what about, like loses by 20 to somebody. Um, you know, it, it's like,
0: or they, or like when they beat the Celtics, I mean, the Celtics yeah. are, uh, they've had a, they've had a very good year to the surprise of many, let's say, I think many's fair, but the, the, the Cavs just ran the floor with them without Kyrie. Yeah. And
1: that's, you know, and, and, and I, I, you and Nate talked about this a, a fair amount. So actually, sorry, Nate and Jared, I guess, talked about this and as, as they, they taunted you about, uh, Jared not inviting you on his podcast, by the way. If you if you didn't make it, to I, have, the I haven't
0: heard it yet, so that's fun.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, so so uh, so stay for the end for for the after the end credits, you know, uh, is, is the way I'll, <laughs> I'll put that to you. But uh, uh, it's a little inside baseball. But um, yeah, no, they. I mean, just the fact that you know the against kind of good teams, Boston is just going to struggle to score, and so you, how are they going to make it through multiple rounds of the playoffs? So kind of at this point although another team that has the has the pieces to to do something and kind of rectify some some problems at the deadline should they choose to um but you can at this point with their roster you can kind of you know cross them off as 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 a real threat and who else is there like you, you can't believe in Charlotte yet the bulls haven't really shown enough offensively the hawks are, are a step down from last year uh, the Pacers, you, 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 they're a nice story, but they're they're not an honest-to-goodness threat, I, I don't think. So does that leave Miami? And then Miami doesn't, you know, they're they're dependent on, on what, what, you know, you're going to have from Wade. So it's just, you know, you just go down the list of, like, the Eastern Conference teams, and, and can they beat a healthy or reasonably healthy Cleveland in a playoff series? Could it happen? Sure. Is there anyone you, you'd think was especially likely to? I don't think so.
0: If there's a parallel in a way, actually, to the Warriors, which is that you need to have this basic level of competence on both ends of the floor. You need to be able to score against a defense that can be pretty good, and you need to be to be able to take away something that they do well. And the difference between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference is that the Eastern Conference has none of those teams, and the Western Conference has at least two, usually three.
1: Right. And also, you know, the, one of the teams that maybe they don't have the answers uh, to some of those questions has, it poses their own, own, I'm talking of Oklahoma City, like, alright, maybe we can't take those things away from you, but, you know, what can you take away from us? So it's, it's kind of like, 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 uh, you know, it's almost who, who draws first is, is almost the, the, the analogy I, I'd use.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair one. And what OKC does that's different is like when they're when they're at their best, they're really hard to stop. Like they're one of the few teams that can really say that against anyone. You know that when yeah. cause that's what happens when you have the best isolation score in the league and Kevin right. Durant, Russell Westbrook's a monster, and they have the other pieces. I mean, it is a shame that they've never really got that that shooting guard that makes sense. But you don't need that to beat teams like we the Oklahoma City with those three guys at full strength. I think they can hang with anyone.
1: I was just, just thinking about that. Like that's a in, – in, in like a playoff series, that's a that's a, an interesting matchup because how does their – you know, the Golden State's strength is their defensive versatility, but who amongst those defensively versatile guys is a guy you feel at all comfortable on an island versus Durant?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you, you that's that basically always having a guy single covered is definitely a value, but I'm not sure that it provides much value against KD. You
1: anyway, know, yeah, exactly. All right, well, all right, we're gonna run a we're gonna run a bland pick and roll, and you're gonna switch, and then we're gonna iso the guy. Well, that's our offense anyway. So, and we have a you know we have a seven footer with 28 foot range uh, who can take any of your guys off the dribble anyway. So it, it's almost it it almost like it, it, it that the defensive versatility is is neutralized and almost becomes a, a, I don't want to say a detriment, but it's like he uh, has the potential to kind of change and break their scheme in a way that that maybe LeBron did a little, but he's almost certainly the way LeBron is shooting the ball now or not shooting the ball now. uh, Durant is is possibly even more dynamic in a way that that is, is threatening to them.
0: And I think the, the Thunder have defensive potential. I mean, they're not going to have it for all forty-eight minutes, but they have the guys to do like a you know an eight-minute stretch, let's say, where they can if they they can have, at bare minimum hold their own. But I think they can do more than that too.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Yeah, and from what you've seen, so let's say you have Durant, Ibaka, and Westbrook as the only givens for that. If you were to construct Oklahoma City's best five, <laughs> like it's it's actually kind of hard.
1: No, I, I I laugh because I I feel like this is like the fourth or fifth different podcast that I've been asked that question, and and it's 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 you know it's a it's a shrug every time because it's like those three, and you know depending on the matchup, Adams, and then still, I mean. Waiters is probably one of the answers, and that doesn't fill one with joy. If you're if you have aren't a situation where you can go offense and defense, you know Roberson couldn't be on the court, but offensive like guys who are offensive zeros are kind of I feel like that's that's almost an anachronism in today's NBA. Like those guys being being on the floor just because it's almost simple math that that it doesn't it does it would he could hit literally every shot he took, and. It would still hurt their 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 offense just because if the defense and isn't going to guard especially him especially against yeah.
0: teams that are really smart and good at helping yeah. like they because you you're sitting there in a situation with, with him where the the Spurs and the Warriors are going to defend that well you you can take advantage of it in a regular season setting where teams don't play don't play one another very often and things like that but when those teams have prep and Oklahoma City theoretically let's say they get they let's say they end up in the 3 well really either way they have to face probably both of those teams and i think yeah. that's what's what's really tough for them and like i mean i could see them getting hot and beating either one and that's high praise because the warriors and the spurs are fantastic but beating both and then theoretically having to face cleveland would be insane they could do it but it would be it would be quite the run
1: Yeah, whether or not they have a, they have a move in them to add. It's funny. Every year they've, they've needed one more wing and, and it's, it's, you know, every, at least since they traded Harden, you know, once again, that seems like that's their, that second wing and even the first wing that would allow them to play what I think everyone would like to think of as their best lineup, which is, uh, you know, Durant at the four, Ibaka at the five. And then, you know, but that's just two big holes to fill that there's no one, no one in their roster that you're, you, you feel especially confident about.
0: And and this is a parallel to to degree with something that if we talk about Memphis, we'll talk about, which is that they don't really even have guys that you could throw at the wall and say, hey, maybe that's gonna work. You know, like you just have you just have guys who we've already kind of shown don't work. And so maybe, maybe I mean, Moro could yeah. blossom for one of those spots, but even then, that's one of the two, and his deficiencies create all sorts of other problems.
1: Yeah, watching them a little, there's there's actually. I think also the idea of Moro is different than the the actuality like he's true. a guy he's a guy who you know if if his value as is as a spot up quick release you know three point shooter every time he kind of does the thing where he takes a one dribble two point pull up he's kind of he, he's diluting his own value and that's a that's a shot that that he does and kind of has always been a little bit in love with and that's – so maybe, you know, you're looking for reasons why he doesn't stay on the court as much. It's just like, you know, maybe it's successive coaches have kind of been like, you know, stay in your lane, and he doesn't. And then that's like, – if, like, if you're going to go outside of that, then I can't actually play you because you're actually – you're at that point, you're hurting the team.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and it, it also makes sense just with – the he's one of those guys who, yeah, he does he does something really, really well. He's, I mean, he's, to me, he's one of the best catch-and-shoot players I've ever seen. But he doesn't bring a lot other than that, and if you're not even willing to fully say, "Okay, I'm one of these, and I shouldn't do other things," at least right now, and if you're not going to embrace that, then I can see why that drives coaches insane.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's maybe maybe it's a it, maybe it's a bad decision by 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 the coaches, and certainly it doesn't seem like he's in successive years been given you know the under different coaches been given the the full you know the full shot at it right. But uh, it's been multiple stops and multiple different coaches, so you know it's kind of nine out of ten doctors disagree agree on this one sort of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that when we when we talked about doing this that I I think is interesting you alluded to it before is we don't know yet really who will be the teams that are let's say sellers I guess that's I guess that's the word to use but one of the things that I found so fascinating about who that could be is trying to figure out what that really looks like. And the team that we discussed it with offline before this was New Orleans, because New Orleans doesn't have a lot of young guys. They basically have nobody under long team control other than the guy they're never trading. And so they obviously can make moves. There are guys they can do that with, but I've been trying to think about, I don't call it tanking because I think it's something different, but if they're de-emphasizing success this season, what do you think changes for them?
1: Um, this is. I've actually been in a few discussions about this. I think that um, you know, Ryan Anderson probably has some value. Eric Gordon possibly has some value. I think the guy that maybe they can, if, if they're just kind of in, in clear, clear the decks mode, um, they can find someone to take is Tyreek Evans. Um, just, you know, he's, he's got one year left after this year on a reasonable contract. And maybe it's, you know, I'm, I've, I've maybe I, I'm all alone on, uh, on what I've taken to calling Tyreek Evans-Fjord which is, you know, w- w- with Deion Waiters Island just off the coast. I think he, if, if used correctly, he is a player who can bring things to the table. Used incorrectly, can take a lot of things off the table. But you know, for the the hey, what about team in, in my mind for him right now is maybe like a team like Utah. Obviously, there's there's some things that aren't perfect about that. But at the same time, if New Orleans is in a situation where they're let's uh, clear as much kind of salary from guys we know we don't want going forward from the books and you know try to be a player in free agency where we have kind of you know we have kind of a draw come play with anthony davis is it's uh that's a a better selling point than you know 20-some, I don't know, would you say 25 other teams have? I mean, it's a pretty good pitch, I think. At,
0: at least 20. 25 yeah. might be pushing it a little bit, but not too much. I mean, because there are a couple teams like, yeah, I mean, you think about somebody like conceptually the Warriors or something. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's in that mix. And they're also a team that, when you talk about it, that for them to really clear space for next year, it's going to involve somebody like Tyreek. But my question for you is, did, for you on the Fjord, does it is that do you see him as a fit like that as somebody who's playing most of his minutes with the starters, or is that somebody who can anchor a second unit while still playing some minutes with the starters?
1: I think it depends on the the team he ends up with uh, for example, on a team like Utah and I know that I, that Utah people kind of, I understand why people are like, Oh no. Cause you know, it's, he's kind of like, he's a little bit like Josh Smith and that, you know, the things he does poorly are just so in your face that, that it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed by those, but you know, a team that, you know, lacks any kind of, of, of penetration and, and sort of ability to create a first, you know, crease in a defense early in a shot clock and stuff like that. And, um, you know the fact that that he's a guy who gets to the basket and creates good offensive rebounding chances. Well, you pair that with Favors and and Gobert, and that's a that's a that's a nice little synergy right there, I think. And you know, also whatever what defensive deficiencies he he can have. Uh, again, you have Gobert and Favors behind him, and that's little, that can be largely mitigated. And you have so, good
0: and you good perimeter defenders around him. Guy guy like yeah. Alec Burks or somebody like that who you can yeah. You can hide and, and, you can hide Evans a little bit. And that actually ties in why I've been really intrigued by that idea is that one of the big, big underlying, big weaknesses in the upcoming free agent class is guys who can reliably create for themselves and others. There are a lot of you know, there aren't first of all, there aren't that many great players, but beyond that, there aren't that many players who really do that, and one of them is probably Evan Fournier, and he's not going anywhere. Yeah. So like and, you're Utah. You're not reasonably like. While wow, there are things you can do with your cap space, if that is if you identify that as your deficiency, you're going to be in a tough spot.
1: I, I almost see it. It's like it's. I I feel like teams with cap space next year, given where you know the the, the market is is not exactly going to be saturated. Um, I think acquiring guys already under contract, kind of pre spending that cap space. I think I think that's going to be you're going to you're going st- even if you have to give something up, uh, that's, that's seems likely to, to be better value than, you know, diving into, you know, the Hassan Whiteside sweepstakes next year, where it's, it's, you know, the winner's curse all the way down for a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the, the top guys who are, you know, once you get past like Durant, assuming he doesn't sign the, the, like the one and one or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good point, and I think it actually uh, – I'm working on a piece on the Sporting News which kind of alludes to this, I'm going to eventually – like, this is going to be a story for me for the next, like, three months for, for my writing, for especially for Sporting News, is that a lot of guys this, this upcoming summer are going to be horrendously overpaid. And I think that you're right that on the early tea leaves that I'm reading are that if you can get players who are under contract now – Unless they're terrible or something like that, that's probably going to be a better use of your money than how you're than how you would use your money on free agent next summer. That isn't to say that you can't use that money on guys like that. You know, later, you know, you can you could probably trade for depending on what New Orleans does. You could probably trade for somebody like Tyreek Evans over the summer, but it's a different market right now. And I think that in some for some of those guys, if teams are looking to sell, this might be a great time to buy.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a, and certainly kind of. Though the the question is, of course, is you know with everyone knowing that cap space will be less valuable, then there has to be a pretty specific set of circumstances for a team to just want to kind of jettison that that salary. And and New Orleans is kind of almost a unique case in that they have like they they have one guy who they know is going to be there, and he's you know locked up for the next five years. So, but the team around him is, is overpriced and old and, and not great and always injured. And, and so just kind of, kind of hitting the reset button as, as quickly as possible is with as little kind of future pain. So not necessarily like, you know, making big use of the stretch provision and not like paying, you know, future picks to get rid of guys and, and, and just kind of getting guys off of your hands almost regardless of what comes back, uh, in some cases, uh, will have some value to them.
0: And that also leads into one of the guys who, I, there were some rumors that were out there, and I think it would a trade that could make a lot of sense for both sides, I'd maybe not involving Anderson, is Markeith Morris. Because while he's been, you know, there's a lot of stuff there right now, he certainly has talent, and it would be hard to imagine New Orleans using seven or so million in space better than him
1: sure i think i mean that's i think there's obviously you have to do a lot of due diligence there just in terms of of uh, uh, checkered um we shall we say and and you know with with legal issues hanging over them like not nothing you know nothing serious but i mean no, nothing that would take him, you know, talk about serious legal issues hanging over someone's head, like that would be, you know, Mike Scott or something like that. But it, you'd have to make sure that that he's someone you want to work with before you before you make that move. But that aside, and we have, I don't think we have a good way of judging that from from the outside. We do so, not. but you know, assuming that that all checks out, sure.
0: Yeah, another team that I've been thinking about what a like what a readjustment, let's say, would look like is Memphis because they have guys that are more established in their in their kind of in their system, but I feel that almost everything that they would consider, their person would not bring a lot of value back. You know, like moving Tony Allen isn't going to bring them a ton back because he has a specific value and while he is he's not paid a ton of money for next year, he's kind of at that point where nobody's going to really pay a premium for it, at least right now.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, you know, uh, you probably say the same thing about Randolph. And, and you know, I don't think they're, any, they're anywhere close to, you know, thinking about moving Gasol or Conley. Though, I mean, Conley's expiring, and so that complicates things even further. So exactly, like, what, what do they have that is something – Teams would want I think in some I talked about this today when uh you know the news came out that he's out six to eight more weeks that that kind of the Brennan Wright injury has kind of secretly been a kind of a, a painful thing for them this year Because um, I think that a a lot some of some of the kind of the the athleticism issues that they're that they're facing he was meant to um, address and given his the, the reasonableness of his contract, he, he might have been, had he been healthy and performing kind of the same way per minute that he has through much of his career. That, that's at least a guy who, who, you know, a team is looking for a third big or something like that and, and might give you something that, that, that at least is something you can look at. And now with him, you know, on the shelf for two months, that's, that, that kind of is for close to them.
0: And something that is concerning if, you, if you're if you thinking about them in terms of trades is that a lot of the guys that you would want maybe on a multiple-year contract are, are expiring this year, and the guys that you'd want on single-year contracts are, expi- are going to extend. So, like, Vince Carter has another year, so he, that makes him a lot harder to move because somebody's basically going to have to pay him. You know, it's not like they're basically just floating some money for him for right now, whereas Courtney Lee is only making $5.7 million. But he's a free agent and an unrestricted one at that. So you're functionally renting him, and there is a value to that. There are teams that will be interested in that. He's a, he's a decent basketball player, but you're not going to get back something that you know. A team's not going to give back something they really really like for that.
1: Yeah, what is what is Oklahoma City going? Would they give up for for Courtney Lee?
0: Yeah, they don't really have salary that even uh, even works super well from what I can think of off the top of my head. So he's about five million. I'm 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 pulling it up right now. Um, I mean, theoretically, let's say they wanted to give up waiters. I mean, um,
1: what does that do for you? <laughs> then then you then you have the the option to overpay the waiters this summer if you're Memphis. Well, I guess
0: you get the match yeah. right, yeah. And also because yeah. the the one of the this is actually something that I've I haven't talked about as much as I'd like to, is the whole thing about them taking Josh Hustis. And so they 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 used a first round pick on a guy who I think most people didn't have in that caliber of player, and you know now he's on a first year scale contract. He's not making a ton of money, but Yay. teams aren't teams <laughs> aren't considering like you know you'd rather take a guy who is who is uh, that caliber of talent on the hope that it works out because they turn into an asset. So now you're sitting there with a guy who's not good enough to play for you and not a good enough future asset to get anything for him.
1: Yeah, that, that was a, that was something of a shabby episode all around. And it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that I'm actually, you know, without wishing anything ill on the player, it's the kind of thing that, that you're glad it didn't work out because you don't want to, you don't want it to be a thing. Like I, I, I would, I, I thought that was something that was, w- w- at least was, gave the appearance of, of impropriety at the time. And I, I, I wouldn't want the kind of the, the nudge nudge wink wink. Sign, sign the rookie deal in a year, kind of, and play in the, play in our D-League system for a year. I would not like that to become a, a regular thing, especially, um, when, when, you know, it's, it, that's an avenue that's only open to, you know, two thirds of the teams.
0: Yeah, and like you think, there are a couple of guys that were around then, like KJ McDaniels. While he hasn't, you know, gotten the minutes or played super well, like you think about if if you were sitting there, even if he'd gotten basically the same opportunity that Houston has, and you were and you'd be sitting there, and maybe some team would say, "Oh, well, he's definitely at the bare minimum a sweetener and something like that," and so you could do something with that, or you know, maybe he could be help possibly answer some of their questions, probably on the second unit, but he could do that, and instead they have somebody who's just not at that level.
1: And the you know and the guy who's who's uh, you know taking up a, a rostered spot for at least you know this year and next year guaranteed.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely a part of it, and that's theoretically that was a part of the reason why they why they drafted him instead of somebody else. But I mean, if you're at that point, I mean, even just selling the pick or getting seconds or something like that would have been a better use of resources.
1: Or you know the, you know if you if you want something that can be a sweetener, you know, and and I don't remember the who was available. You know, at you know, late first last year. But even a guy who, you know, a, a a a foreign player whose rights you kind of can keep in perpetuity, as something that you can always use as kind of a, uh, you know, if if you're if you wanted to to you know go get a Courtney Lee, hey, we've got this, we've got this guy, he's he's you know pretty good in Spain, might turn into something. So we'll we'll give you that and a second rounder and, and, and some dead salary. And, and you give us Courtney Lee is on an expiring contract. You know, it's not, it's not great, but it's, it's something for the future. And what do you think? Um, that's at least interesting. Like you, you offer that same package with, you know, Josh Hustis and it's, what does that do for me? Like there's very little upside, uh, for a potential trade partner in that now.
0: The funny thing is the two guys that I think would have been most likely to theoretically, if they'd gone Euro with that pick, would have been Jokic and Tavares, both of whom are now <laughs> in the NBA.
1: Yeah. And uh, by the way, I was, uh, again, I, I took a trip to Denver this past weekend and saw them play twice and was really pleasantly surprised by by Jokic as a player.
0: How scared are you about Moutier's jump shot?
1: Uh, you know, I think... I as as an optimist, I'm going to continue to be an optimist, knowing that that he's been in a position where it's just he he's been in a position where he had virtually no chance of of being individually successful this year given given what's what's around him um It's obviously something that that it's going to have to be worked on. It's been worse than I thought it was going to be. I thought he was going to be you know a bad shooter, not a non shooter and he's been a a, unfortunately a not a willing but a a forced into non-shooter um just because they they have so little offensive creation ability on that team that you know he just ended up with the ball at the end of the shot clock a lot you know and that's for a 19 year old rookie that's a tough spot to be in and and his numbers reflect the, the toughness of the spot
0: yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, and they're in a in a kind of a compelling place. Not only because they're you know they have the injury to Wilson Chandler and all that, but they're still winning games. Like they've they've they're they might be one of those teams, obviously not at the same level as like let's say Toronto a couple of years ago. But I then there's still plenty of time for the wheels to fall off this wagon. But I think it would be great for them at this point to just you know kind of fall kind of fall listlessly to like the four or five spot and then just get another really good guy that they never expected to get.
1: Yeah. And I'll, but I think that this, this little run of, of, of wins right now um, is as much about the schedule being kind as anything else. Um, they're catching the, they caught the wolves twice at a really good time. And um, very few times this season has not been a good time to catch the Rockets. So well, they're three, They're
0: three and zero against the Rockets.
1: Yeah. No, I said it was funny. They, they did, you know, the on-court interview thing after the game and, and, you know, it's, you know, it, it wasn't meant this way, but it was pretty funny. They, they, they were talking to Josh, they interviewed Joshua Luver on the course. Like uh the question was something like, you know, why have you done so well against the Rockets? Uh, he, and his answer was something like, I don't know, but I wish we could play them more often. It's kind of, <laughs> Ooh, but you know, it's, it, it was kind of ha ha joking, but it's the kind of thing that that in, in another situation would end up as bulletin board material, um, you know. So <laughs> God, the
0: rocket, the rockets could have a lot of that anyway. I don't think they would really need more. <laughs> yeah, I, it seems to me like there are a couple teams that are like that. Like when I see Orlando, they're they're doing well, and I'm, I'm thrilled for them. But I don't see how did this... they
1: didn't they blow some didn't they blow Charlotte out tonight?
0: Yeah, they beat Charlotte by fifteen. Yeah. Again, no idea how. But I they mean, have. but they have they have talent. Like they have they have yeah. guys who can play basketball, and they have a good coach, and they try hard. They're trying so much harder. Like we were, we talked about it during the off season of the idea of you know Skiles was the underrated coaching addition, and for me the big question with them wasn't if they were going to get better defensively, it was if they were going to do better offensively, and so far they have
1: so far they have um i i i can actually i i want to take your temperature on that a little bit just because a lot of their improvement has co- i'm not going to say it's it's the result of but it certainly coincided with the kind of the uh exile of of your boy Mario Hazonia from their rotation he hasn't and deserved just,
0: to be in the rotation yeah Straight no, that's up, like no that's my in- my loyalty my, my the way i i enjoy mario hazonia but i am not somebody who will who will like lie on the sword if somebody doesn't deserve it? Yeah. You know he hasn't he hasn't played at that level and they're they've been competitive. You know, like there is a point I actually was I was critical of the um, critical of Jeff Hornacek during the game tonight because the Suns were down 30, 40, you know various various amounts that were more than more than really needed to be. And Devin Booker didn't play in the fourth quarter. And yeah, he'd had a kind of a rough game for portions of it. And I of course you can't get into the psyche. There was a lot of other stuff going on in that game. But for me, like when you have those kinds of opportunities, that's when you really want to see you wanna give the young guys a little bit of playing time. You want to see what they can do. But you know, if your team is your team is fourteen eleven, your team is strangely competitive, then you can for at least a period of time, you can use you can take that luxury time later on.
1: Yeah, no. Another guy who who it kind of has falls into that category a little bit, and there's been a lot of kind of ringing of hands about it. Has been uh, been uh, been Grant in in um, uh, New York, who's been you know after some some interesting stuff to start the year. I think that uh, he he just hasn't been good enough, you know. And that's you know rookie point guard, somewhat to be expected. And and,
0: and they and they still have hope. I mean, I think they're yeah. going to eventually fall out, and that will open up yeah. and and. They're in this spot. There are a couple other teams there that it's so interesting because they don't have their own pick. So you obviously you want to kind of push for pride reasons and all that. But once you get out of it a little bit, yeah, of course, you don't want to you don't want to give Toronto, you know, this or theoretically Denver, depending on how the swap goes. You you don't want to give them this amazing thing just out from a pride perspective. But if it were me, you kind of have to think of that as a sunk cost, and then your goal is knowing what you have, developing your players, and all that, and this is a team now that has a new sense of optimism because of Porzingis.
1: Yeah, and all, but there's also, you know, there's kind of varying schools of thought, two schools of thought, and kind of everything in between about a, a young guy who's not ready getting force-fed minutes, whether that's something that... Is a good thing? Is a bad thing? It could be different in different situations, and so that's, you know, that's that that's
0: yeah, that's um, a great point. And and I, I think with with a team like that, you're probably you're not going to really like play, play him, put a throw him in the lines then, and play him with the starters against the starters. Yeah. You know, it's more just making sure that he gets reliable backup minutes, and you know, maybe you dab a little bit of you dab a little bit of time with Kristaps in there just to see how how their like pick and pop chemistry is yeah. and things like that. But another team that I want to talk with about the idea of a potential like adjustment is the Wizards because they're a team that we've been talking about, well, not specifically the two of us, but just we in the in the media have been talking about as a Kevin Durant destination. Of obviously, they're not going to do anything. Not so to much, but but I, so I, they're I, in this I, really com- kind like, tricky I, spot.
1: That, that has to be kind of dead at this point, doesn't it?
0: Uh, I don't think so. In the sense that, in the sense that they like, he could think that he can kind of cure what ails them. I think the the best thing that could happen to Washington is a healthy Oklahoma City team not succeeding in the playoffs. Because then the idea for Durant would be, well, if it's not going to work here, then I should think about somewhere else. And at that point, if if you're in that case, then de- then the Wizards still have a decent argument. Not the best argument, but it
1: yeah. Well, argument. but then you start to think of other places that have a better argument, though. And it's like, what about why, if especially if they kind of can can move some stuff around and, and clear the decks a little bit? Like, why not New Orleans? But you know,
0: yeah, that's I it. I think New Orleans is the kind of the sleeping giant with Kevin Durant, just because they have a guy who so he can Kevin Durant can be the guy there. But they have somebody else who's really crazy good. Like that's the difference from a mental standpoint between, let's say, them and the Warriors is that the Warriors are Stephen Curry's team. The Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant thing. I think that team can still be Kevin Durant's team, and I think Davis wouldn't care. I think he'd just be like, "Hey, that's awesome. I wasn't expecting to have good teammates for another four years."
1: <laughs> what What are good team What What are good teammates? I don't understand. That, uh, that he had them for before. like two weeks last year. Yeah.
0: But I think so. Like, with if you're the Wizards, I mean, yeah, maybe you try to try to move Nene for something. You know, I, I think if you were really convinced for whatever reason, Otto Porter wasn't the answer. You know, maybe you can do something like that. But they're are actually probably more hamstrung than even Memphis, just because of the idea that they they have they've done such a like they've done such a shaky job in certain points of getting depth through the draft. But then at another point, it's just that they don't really have. They don't. They can't really move much without hurting. Without giving away the goals that they can't give up right now.
1: Yeah, and they're also. I mean, the 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 Beal situation is just. Cool. It's 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 a it's a. Even if he's only out two weeks, just that an uncertainty. It's just it, it's a it's a crusher. Kind of see again looking back at New Orleans. You look you look and see how just you know like with with Drew Holiday like he he just he, minute limits and and in and out of the lineup and stuff like and just. That being a guy who is, you know, a, at a pretty good level, though, I think that the Brad Brad Beal is a guy who the idea of him is has kind of, f- for the most part, exceeded the actuality. But just not knowing like what what you're, you're going to get. Like at least if you're, you know, you, you're talking about like late career Dwayne Wade. All right, all right, we're going to get 60 60 games of him and 60, 60 games of what he has, and you know he's going to miss a couple games here, a couple games there, and be out for two weeks at one point in the season, and and we just know that going in. You just don't know when it's going to happen with Beal, but you know something is going to happen, and it's not going to be good, and it could be really bad, I mean, just based on the fact that it's the same injury every year for kind of worry if there's something just, you, you know, something just not right about his body for for playing a for playing an NBA schedule and an NBA regular season schedule of basketball and and,
0: and, when that, we're, and when we're talking about the specific recruit of Kevin Durant this is somebody who has a history of dealing with players who were important to his team missing series due to injury like this is yeah. a guy who 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 can internalize that and who can remember that all too painfully so you don't really need to you know, you, you, so he's going to be thinking about that the whole time, and there's not really anything they can do to make him feel better about that.
1: And if you're if you're advising him on his decision to summer, you're committing professional malpractice not to kind of play devil's advocate on, are we sure, A, this guy is good, B, can stay on the floor enough for it to matter if he is or isn't? And that's, <laughs> you know, if, and especially going to a franchise that has been, you know, as you said, kind of a shaky recent history like what what about that kind of fills you full of confidence that that they're going to make the other moves because it's not just done when if there's one thing we've seen in the kind of the super team era uh you're not done when that happens so when when you know guys com, when, when all-star players combine and so you need those other things to to happen too, and if you're going to a team where you're not confident, or you're considering going to a team, uh, there are reasons to be skeptical of those those next moves being done right. That's a strike against you know doing that if your if your goal is is championship or bust, which you know if you're at the level of a guy like a Durant who is who um, you know can it just it, it, the question is how many years of a max contract am I telling you to give me? Basically, how many years and what option? What you know, it, it's championship or bust for him because the the money is going to be you know the money's going to be what it's going to be.
0: Yeah, that that's that's definitely a good point. And like with Durant, it's it's so intriguing just because he's at this point in his career where he can be prioritizing a lot of different things. But I don't think he's going to prioritize anywhere that is not seriously competitive.
1: Yeah, that's. I think everything we know about him suggests that winning is going to be a, a, a big factor. Now, you know, you can make uh, maybe he'll make make a, a, an, an objectively incorrect decision on that, but like his, that's going to be big in his his internal decision making processes. I think.
0: How crazy is it that a, a fifteen and twelve team right now is would not be in the playoffs in the East, and an eleven and fourteen team would be in the West?
1: Yeah, well, those things work. It's funny how that, that that as with many problems in the NBA, uh, these things tend to work themselves out.
0: Yeah, and also it's early. You know, there there's yeah. a lot of time for these things to adjust. And I mean, teams like like Utah's right now dealing with with Rudy being out, and I think they'll. I would clearly expect as long as they can stay moderately healthy, they'll be better with that. And. You know, even a team like Sacramento. I think if if Sacramento hadn't had that stretch where Demarcus was out and they missed, they lost every single one of those games, they would be closer. I'm not saying they would necessarily be in, but oh man, that I think that a Houston, like Houston and Sacramento battling for the final seed would just be so much fun for me.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah.
0: Of the teams that have done well, let's say so far this year, however you define it what team are you sitting there wait, feeling like you're the most confident saying that the that it's going to drop at some point for them.
1: It's a good question. I don't think I mean Indiana's I don't think they're they're shooting as as sustainable Is is the the first one. Though, you know, maybe maybe that gets counteracted a little bit when when Miles Turner comes back. So, but then again, it's like you're saying we're not going to shoot the ball well, but our 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 rookie is coming back soon. So, um, I know which of those I expect to be a a bigger kind of force. C.J. Miles is, is is shooting the crap out of the ball, and and I don't think that you know while he is a good shooter, I, I don't think it's going to be to this degree all season where you know like the game where they they obliterated Washington. The other week is, is, you know, basically him and Paul George taking turns, like pulling up in people's faces, like basically people hand checking him as he's rising up and draining a three on them. And I don't like for a night or two of those are shots that go in over the course of a season. I'm, I, I, I doubt it.
0: Yeah. The team that, uh, I mean, I would say Memphis, if they count their one game over 500, but just because they I think they, they just don't have a ton of they're not gonna beat teams by more than eight very often and that's just hard to you know it's hard to sustain when you're like that. In normal situations I would kinda say Charlotte and Dallas, but I think those teams are really well coached and they're I, I think that yeah they're probably performing over their heads, but there is a reason to think that they will continue that.
1: And Rick Rick Carlisle's a witch, as has been established, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean it. It really is incredible, and I mean I think that they are very, very kind of concerning from a health standpoint. I mean, not o- not only are they a team that's incredibly shallow, but they're a team that is incredibly shallow, and the people who are holding that up have injury histories that are very real. But they they survived relatively well without them, and it's not like those guys are. I, I West Matthews I think is is closer to one hundred percent than than younger Parsons is, but it's not like they've been running this gamut with everything running with everything going perfectly and you're just waiting for a shooter drop they've been th- kind of thriving despite that
1: yeah um and it's it's they, i mean i guess one of the the, uh, the the benefits of not not knowing exactly how they're doing it is is <laughs> you know you can't point to one thing that that's going to fall off
0: is that the Celtics corollary uh no, I think, I
1: mean, if you look at the Celtics, the Celtics are what, 14 and 12? Yeah. And, you know, for all their, you know, early season gaudy net ratings, I think that if you told me that they were going to be, you know, that my, my Celtics skepticism all year was mostly, was more for people who are predicting them for like 49, 51, 52 wins. You know, if you would have told me before the season this is going to be a 45-win team and they'll get the sixth seed and, and you know, battle, but ultimately lose a first-round series in five or six games, like, sure, I'd have bought that. It's just when they started, when you start to, you know, bump them up a level when they have, just the the the, the way their team is constructed will have a tough time consistently beating the actual good teams. They might, like, be really good at, like like, dispatching the... The, you know, the lottery teams of the world. But, uh, you know, I think we saw it a little bit last night. I, and I didn't see the game today, but, you know, against against uh, the Pistons. But, uh, you know, they I think uh, against Cleveland it was sort of instructive. Like Isaiah Thomas was, what, 3 for 15? Because, you know, your best offensive player is a guy that good teams can take away. That makes it very tough to – to, to beat the better teams and, and, you know, you can beat the bad teams and get to 45 wins. Those next 10, you know, the next 5, 10 wins are a little tougher and, and maybe requires some, some different skills they don't have, which is fine, by the way. It's not, it's not, uh, given the way their team is set up, they're not stuck in the middle. They're, they're in the middle. And that's a, I think that's a, a pretty crucial difference. But for this season, um, you know, they are about, you know, if, if you'd have told me they were going to be 14-12 and 12 with a slightly better, um, you know, net net differential than their, their record would suggest, I would have – that sounds about right.
0: Yeah, I said before the – kind of before the season that if this was allowed, the bet I would have made with them was that they would lose their first-round series. Like, I, I thought that that <laughs> was the most certain thing with this team, and – basically nothing they have done has changed my opinion on that. It, and especially now that it looks less likely, though it's still certainly possible. It's not like they're that far behind it. It's less likely now than it was before that they're going to get one of those like real high seeds because that would have been the way to do it. It's like, let's say you, let's say they pop the three and there's like a, just a shaky six seed. That would have been the way that they could do it. But you know, now that's certainly possible, but it's less likely than it was before.
1: Well, they could also get the six seed and play a shaky three seed.
0: Um, They could, they could. Yeah, I mean, the 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 East is just such a morass right now, and I think I think it's just going to continue to be that way. It's just that all there are a lot of these teams that are you know they're playing all right, they're doing well, but they're not substantially better than any of the other teams. And it's not even like a rock paper scissors thing. It's just that they're all about the same.
1: Yeah, no, that's, and it's, it's, you don't necessarily know what you're getting from them one night to the next. And it's, there's a lot of kind of make or miss league going on where Charlotte, you know, d- hits a bunch of shots and they, you know, beat the crap out of somebody. Uh, I think Detroit, uh, Caldwell Pope goes crazy for Detroit tonight and they, and they beat Boston, um, where, you know, some other night it's, it, the, the, the made shots are the other way. And, and none of them can really distance themselves from the other. So it's just kind of, who hits shots on a given night, which you know that's a, I guess it's a uh, to some degree a tautology, right? But uh, yeah. the team that scores the more wins. Like the, the best,
0: Seth. the best example of that might actually be that uh, super weird Raptors Pacers game over the weekend, where the Raptors went out to like a, I think it was like a twenty to six lead, or maybe even was might even been like twenty to four, and then basically they didn't score for the for the rest of the half. And then the, the the Pacers went on this. They you know make or miss league. They were making all their shots. The Raptors were missing all of them. And yeah, they were playing good defense. But you see those types of games sometimes. And the the kind of the crazy thing about the East is that it's such a large number of teams. It's not just that it's you know that it starts at the two seed. It's that it's basically two through nine.
1: I mean, two through almost two through twelve is is.
0: Yeah, I mean, because the Wizards the Wizards have had some of those games too, and I, I think you could even go two through two two through 13 and include the Bucks if they start turning it around a little bit.
1: Yeah. And yes. you know, it's if, yeah. And, and kind of when they, they try almost Brooklyn prior to the, 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 uh, Hollis Jefferson injury was, is basically everyone, but Philly, you know, everyone, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of been a weird season that way because, you know, all right, in the East it's, you've got Cleveland at the top, Philly at the bottom and then stuff in the middle. And, and uh, you know you can maybe make some some gradations like Brooklyn is lower than Chicago, but the fine gradations have been tough and, and kind of relegated to the you know the vicissitudes of uh, of injuries and and, and, guy, and guys kind of playing well or not for a, for a given stretch rather yeah. than the measure of overall team quality because they're all so close.
0: I'm trying to remember if we've talked about this, but are, are you familiar with the term of Pareto optimality?
1: Yes. <laughs> so,
0: so basically, like what I think is the is the east the east issue is that no team is like clearly better in in like in in all combined facets other than Cleveland over anybody else. And so what that means is just you're in that situation. But this connects with my kind of my pet theory that I haven't shared yet, which is with the Lakers, which is that I think right now with what's going on with them is they can try as hard as they want, they can play this season however they want, and they're going to have the second best lottery odds. Like, I do not see a realistic circumstance unless the Sixers just, like, start rattling off wins where they finish with anything other than the second-worst record in the league.
1: I suppose. In a in a different world, I could see a, a a scenario where this Lakers roster is credible, but not That's a not very good. different world. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, the, basically you're talking about whether, like, your idea of putting together the jigsaw puzzle is shaking up the box and dumping it out. And, yeah, look what I did. Versus, you know, spending 15 minutes to find the corner pieces or something, which, <laughs> if that analogy makes sense at all, um,
0: it, it and I
1: feel like I feel like the former is kind of much more what's happened there than 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 any sort of rhyme or reason to 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 what to do actually on the floor.
0: Plus, then we can start calling Byron. We can start calling Byron Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> but like, can you see a realistic scenario where the Lakers finish with a better record than the Wolves?
1: <laughs> from this, from now? Oh,
0: for for so like right now, they're spotting him a five-game yeah. lead. So like, I mean, it, that, it's possible. Is that all, really? Yeah, it's it's they're four and twenty-one, and the the Wolves are nine and sixteen. Do you want to talk about Zach Levine playing point guard, or are we just are we at the point now where we don't need to talk about it anymore?
1: Just, you know, we, we keep. Do you want to pipe we, the nylon we, calculus? We, position? Yeah, we, 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 I've, I've been keeping like, you know, a production by player position stuff and just look at how, look at, you know, both his, his numbers and the team's numbers when he's playing point guard versus shooting guard. And, you know, let's put it this way. It's, it's point guard is a position that, that, that's all about decision making and, and he's a player in his basketball life who has, never prior to last season been in put in a position to have to learn how to make those decisions and that's skill set and at the shooting guard he, he his, the decisions are simpler and his talents his evident talent can can take over and and in many cases has done this year and it's just it's it's better and and cl- quite clearly so um so yeah.
0: The only two it's, things, the only two things I'll say on it is, um, one is that it, it's very different for him because it is not his only path to success in the league. Like he's not one of those guys who's like, let's say he's six foot and you realistically can't play him off the ball. He has the size to defend twos. He can play it offensively. And the second thing is, I'm super happy you're on board with my concept of him being a second pass guy, not a first pass guy in transition.
1: No, I think that's a, that's that's a, that's a great way of that's a fabulous way of putting it. I think is. You know, you get him the ball kind of on the wing attacking, you know, one, two dribble, figure out how to get by this guy in front of you. He's got all the tools to do that. Figure out which guy has that, you know, the, the right angle. It's less good at that.
0: And it's also frustrating because they have a great first pass guy in Rubio. Like Rubio is one of the best first pass guys in the league. And so you don't, I mean, obviously you'd want to have a second guy just because you can't just have one guy on your team. But you don't need you could play him next to Rubio, and he would never need that skill at all, and you'd be fine yeah so when you, when, <laughs> one of the things that I've been thinking about with with Minnesota, and I've actually been struggling with this is I think that and I'm, I'm probably right on this at some point in the near future. I don't, interesting because we've never talked about this that I think that there are certain guys in the league, particularly on the wing, who are better against guys who are smaller than them, and there are certain guys who are who are better against guys that are bigger. Basically what the idea is is what are, you, what are you better at using to your advantage? So it's are you better at using your size or are you better at using your quickness? And what I've seen from Wiggins is right now he is substantially better at using his size than his quickness, which the pathway for that is then, oh, well, then he can play the two because if he plays the two, he's bigger than any two he's ever going to – like basically any two in the league. But then what you're looking for in a three – is extremely specific.
1: I'm not sure I agree with you about that on, on Wiggins. I think his, his one of his, his, you know, again, another guy who, if you make the game simpler for him and in his case, it's just, it's a matter of where he's catching the ball. Yeah. Um, if he, if he's catching the ball, like, you know, at the elbow on a curl or at the arc with a player running at him, he, he can do things. If you if you if you're having him catch the ball catching the ball faced up at 20 feet on a guy there's not a lot he's going to do efficiently from there and that's um you know it's uh, this is this is uh, ground i'm actually kind of bored of walking on because it's 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 a point i come back so often about the anti modernity of of the wolves offense
0: yeah um, I, just, I wasn't i wasn't i was meaning it more of just a basic sense yeah. that when i watch it, no, it I, seems like he's more comfortable on a guy who's smaller which is fine i mean they they I,
1: like... I I don't necessarily agree with that i think that you know the his best use kind of down the stretch in games is like on that curl one dribble hard to the bucket more than more likely than not draw foul that's um, true but he still. Is
0: very he is very good at that
1: yeah and so that's and that's you know that's that's kind of his 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 quickness and kind of the slitheriness of his euro step is those are those are good kind of quickness things where it's kind of He's got the quickness to get by, but then also the size and length to get over. Once he is by the 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 slower player, so I'm not sure I agree. I, I agree with you completely on on Wiggins. That's, though that, I, that's
0: fair. You don't have to. I uh
1: w- well that does I don't think invalidates the the overall construct you're going for, which is actually something I've kind of tried to start looking into. Is is you know figuring out a way where it, it's a a quick mis- mismatch, a size mismatch, or just kind of a, a a normal, a regular guy is kind of theoretically evenly matched and maybe one guy is better than the other, but that's not necessarily, it's a mismatch. Like, you know, Steph Curry being guarded by, by Jose, Jose Calderon is a mismatch, but it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it it's not that it's, that it's just that that's Curry is just much better
0: yeah. <laughs> rather
1: than it, than it being like, uh, you know, cause who else is Jose Calderon going to guard, but any, anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there.
0: And the other the other way you could do that with Wiggins would be theoretically and it would be more possible at the three is if you use him as a screener. Like you can then you can try to force switches and then you, you can get you can kind of play both sides of the coin at the same time.
1: Sure. And that's a little bit how um, you know the I mean the the Warriors do plenty of that. Uh, they do. with with with, you know, kind of the Steph and Clay exchanges.
0: Yeah, and, they, and they, they're, I think they're doing a little bit more of that at, at points this year. Yeah, there's so much with, with them that you can do. And it's it's fun for me to watch when a team – Nate talked about this a little bit. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast about the Pacers just could not figure them out. And I thought yeah. that was really – because the Pacers are, you know, they're they're a pretty solid defensive team. I think they're not, of course, what they used to be, but – and they have some smart players you know George Hill Paul George not everybody I I covered Monte Ellis for years I I could talk about his defense probably for the rest of my life and never feel happy about it but they just they were just completely flabbergasted by the warriors
1: yeah and and some of that is is you know the warriors are you know the the, the warriors are 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 a team that that is is going to catch people just completely because they're they're so unique in terms of the 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 challenge that Steph especially poses, that that's a just it you know that's a tough regular season matchup, you know not not saying that they're not a, a great team, but it's just like the the you know the constancy of 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 the NBA of the regular season schedule puts teams so much at their mercy. Yeah, um, that's, because, that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, it It doesn't, you know, if you can prepare for it, you still have to stop it. But it does mean that, you know, it, it that is something that uh, and obviously that goes both ways because, you know, the, the, the Warriors will be able to prepare for the opposition just like the opposition is, is allowed to prepare for the Warriors. But, you know, some of the some of the, the craziness of, of staff is stuff that, that, you know, if he's the only guy in the league who does certain things, that means you know you're against 20 other. You, you do the same things against him you do against 28 other teams unless he's the only person you're going to be playing for the next two weeks. And so that you know it's it's not it doesn't mean you can eliminate his effectiveness. It just means that you know certain plays like the, the two that come to my mind most are like his the the kind of the uh, the free three pointers he he tends to get off of you know scrambles and offensive rebounds where if it's if you're playing them in a series it's like all right you're guarding Steph. Don't crash the boards. Stay with him. Bledsoe, you know.
0: Bledsoe did that tonight. Bledsoe kept on leaving him, and then and then yeah. either P.J. Tucker was just sitting there – because P.J. Tucker, I felt really bad for him. Uh, Amin El-Hassan talked about this well. He's like, he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he was kind of – his job was guarding clay, but – You can't leave Stephen Curry open, so he was kind of like, at certain points, he was just standing between them, not really guarding either because he couldn't, (laughs) he really couldn't process, like, what do I do here? You know, like, I have these two guys, either of them getting the ball is lethal, so how do I stop both of them?
1: But, yes, and, and, but, you know, the, the point guard coming back in and helping rebound a little bit, that's kind of a, you know, it's something you, you, you emphasize, and generally speaking, that's, that's good team play. Right. Except against, you know, Steph Curry. So, you know, it's, it's, that's a habit. You can maybe talk about it like in, in shoot around and pregame, but then the game is going on and, and you go back to the drilled habit once or twice. And then, you know, those are two open Steph threes. And, and Amin is on Twitter wondering, how does he get so open? <laughs> because that's. Uh, because, um,
0: yeah, the Warriors use your instincts against you. And yeah. they do that in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and. And the the other one is just kind of, you know, consciously picking him up a little bit earlier yep. on the court, not like, you know, not like, you know, ball hawking him, just, you know, putting a body in front of him, you know, at, at as he crosses half court, just to, to, you know, make him divert to the side a little bit. And just, you know, neither of those things are going to eliminate his effectiveness. They're just going to take just that, that top little bit of ridiculousness of him, like, coming down and you have to, you having to, oh, my gosh, he's going to pull up from 30 feet. And then you're out of position, and then, you know, the most likely thing that happens then is, like, Draymond is going downhill on a four-on-three. And just, you know, if you can take, like, two or three of those possessions away a game, that's, you know, it's it's not uh, it's not going to be enough to beat them on its own, but it gives you just a, that little bit of a better chance.
0: So I think I want to let you out on a question. Actually, I think it was the last sure. thing I asked Ben Gulliver, which is... It will exclude the Cavs, the Warriors, and the Spurs. But what teams have you just, on a personal level, have you enjoyed watching the most this year?
1: Up until about ten, up until about a week or ten days ago, the Wolves, and and then that's kind of gotten gotten un, unpleasant. Uh, the Magic have been fun. The the Knicks have been mostly fun, um, surprisingly.
0: The Hornets have been fun.
1: Yeah, the hornet. The Hornets have definitely been fun. That's that's um, especially I've kind of enjoying the resurgence of, of of Nick Batum, who's a player I've always uh, liked a lot.
0: And their crowd um, has done well too. Yeah, I like their crowd.
1: Um, actually, to be honest, the the uh, it's more for the second unit than the starters. But the Heat have been the the uh, you know maybe maybe Justice Winslow is starting to get like his offensive deficiencies have maybe started to get scouted a little bit. But uh, they've they've been fun um you know there's been it's un, it's unfortunate cuz some teams that are that are sometimes fun have been not this year and like you're talking about like the clippers and and the rockets and there hasn't necessarily been anything though fun about the Bulls this year, and
0: well, and the um, Jazz to me are like that. Like I admire yeah. what they're doing, but their games, like I, I find myself at certain points where I'm appreciating it, but I'm not really have I'm not really enjoying it in that sense. And I'm yeah. and that that happens, you know. There's an admiration that you can have for that. I have that to a degree with the Celtics too, um, where teams that are very good defensively that you just kind of wish they had a little bit more connective tissue on offense.
1: Yeah. Um, though I think I, I think the Jazz actually uh went healthy with with Gobert, They're, they are kind of fun just because of, oh, the, yeah. of of just the the silliness of 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 his his impact on the game is oh. is kind of fun to watch. And then you you know you you're you're hoping you catch them on like a on a good Rodney Hood or or, or Gordon Hayward night offensively.
0: The other thing that I love with um, and it's 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 something that is one of the true joys for me of League Pass is when you have people or teams that are really unusual and you get to watch that game with the opposing announcers. And so, like, Rudy (laughs) is a great example of that. Andre Drummond, two years ago, was probably my favorite, where you would just hear the announcers, especially in the first quarter, just be like, this guy moves so fast. And, like, you you hear those conversations. It happens with the Warriors sometimes, so they're very rarely... I, I very rarely get that opportunity because of where I live. But I find... Because they're and now that I think they're more kind of we're getting to be more and more special individual guys in the league and even the ones who are more established, like, you know, you can still kind of sit back and appreciate like a, a Duran or Westbrook performance. But when you hear those announcers talk about those players for like the first time and when they see them, you can just really you can hear it in their voice and you can like just the way that they talk about them is so much fun.
1: For the announcing crews who know the names of the players on the other team, hey, which it's is, kind of fun when fair, they don't. To be either. fair, to be fair, it's about twenty-five of them. Um, and then there's the, the then you know we're we're not doing the league plat the, the the league pass
0: announcing ratings. Uh, I will which, never do those. Actually, that's yeah. actually that's actually a fair point that I want to talk about. Is people people ask me about that sometimes, and I, I of course I do have strong preferences, but I don't. For me, I don't think there's any benefit of speaking ill of any particular announcer just because. What what's the, what's really the benefit there? If you have your own opinions, then you have your own opinions. I certainly have mine, but there's no. I will tell you who I like, but I won't tell you who I don't like.
1: Yeah, no, I I think we, um, two years ago, I think I did a podcast where we kind of put them in 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 tiers, but uh, it's probably not something I do again now. But yeah. for for kind of that reason.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that part of there are also there are, it's a lot of it is a matter of taste, you know, like what there are certain people like, uh, let's say, Jim Peterson, who I think and, and just the general, the Wolves team, they're just fabulous. And I think I would I would be dubious of anybody who disagreed with that. But for the for uh, for other people, you know, some of it is about what what kind of a personality you want an announcer? Do you want somebody who's a little bit more neutral? Do you want somebody who's straightforward? Or is it something that, like, I periodically, as long, if they can do it in a less biased way, I sometimes really like, quote-unquote, homer or, announcers, but it has to be in the right atmosphere at the right time.
1: So it has to be Tommy Heinsohn is what you're saying.
0: As long as the calls aren't <laughs> all going against the Celtics. Because, like, I love, like, Tommy, Tommy, when the Celtics are playing well, is so much fun. Like when, when, the, when they're having those moments, like in the Celtics as a great regular season team, like as a team that, that has those games, like I try to remember who it was. It was, it was one of these games it was like two, three weeks ago and they were closing somebody out. It was a good team, you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit better than them. And they were closing them out. And it was just like this kind of like enthusiastic, like joy that is something that is kind of infectious for me.
1: I just I enjoyed him like the first possession of the Cleveland game like like <laughs> took him 12 seconds like to to start start asking for like offensive foul calls on LeBron off the ball I mean, it was just like know, we're in for a night tonight <laughs> this is gonna be great um, I,
0: I would love to see some network do a broadcast because there's some of it that you can see in person but you just can't see it all the way of just, just on Curry, just on the way that different teams defend him off the ball, like the way, you know, certain teams grab and pull and other teams don't do as good a job of that and all that kind of stuff.
1: That would be interesting. You know, I, I think that the, the single player cam thing is, is, is something that, that, you know, especially for like a, like a guy like Curry would be, would be super interesting. I remember there was a, there was a movie, I don't know, probably came out. Well, I mean, it was more. It was a documentary. It wasn't really. It came out about ten years ago, I want to say. That it was just. It was basically like the movie was just like with commentary. I think it was like one camera like following Zinedine Zidane all all around all all around the soccer field, just wherever the ball was, just kind of seeing what he was doing, and and that was it was pretty fascinating, um, especially since that's a that's that's a sport that I, I don't understand quite as well. Um, so, just kind of the nuance was interesting to pick up, but that would be that would be kind of fascinating just to see. Also, you know, like what we're talking about, like you know, his his ability to feel out those situations and the scrambles to 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 always be the guy who's kind of appearing wide open, where the guy who ends up with the ball can get it to him. It's just it's a, it's a it's a super interesting skill that he has.
0: Yeah, I would love to see. I would love to see that as an option. I think that's something that. Like, for me, there there are a couple different things that I think they could replicate the fan experience or even do things that are superior to the in-person experience, and one of them would be that where, because the NBA is an incredible sport because there's so much going on with every player on the floor all the time, and we do focus a lot on the ball because that's just what we do. But, I mean, I would love to see one of those cameras on Draymond Green with all the, like, little things he does on offense and screening and something that, that, that Nate and a couple other people have talked about really well is the idea of screening, the Warriors have gotten good about screening their own man on switch and things like that, and you could appreciate that so much more if you weren't just, like, catching it out of the corner of your eye, if that was what you could watch for.
1: I'd, I'd actually want to want one on Kawhi Leonard on defense.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Just to, to see how he kind of is able to guard his guy while also just, like, being around the ball so much. And while, I would have loved and, to and have that... seen
0: one when, when Tony Allen guarded Kevin Durant in that playoff series. Was that, like, three years ago? Like, that yeah. would have been a fun one, too. Yeah, yeah. And ideally, with the mics, you could hear all the horrible, horrible things they were probably he was probably saying to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It's always good to talk to you, man.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad we kept this one short.
0: <laughs> hey, it was shorter than the one I did with Ben. That was like two, two, a little over two hours.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I got stuck in Denver for an extra day, and we and and did the Colorado Sports Guys podcast yesterday, and they usually go about an hour. And wrapping up, it's like, hey, that was an hour fifty. That's the longest we ever been. I was like. I got to talking, didn't
0: I? (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Seth for taking the time to come on. You can read him and the many other excellent writers they have at the Nylon Calculus. And you can also follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Partnow. That's S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. He also has a Tumblr, which you can see the link on on his Twitter account. And that, I think brings in everything else that he does because he's you know podcasts and everything else he's a very talented guy he has the podcast with Jared Dubin now and a series of other things he's he's a very talented guy who's I'm thrilled that we still get to see so much of his material and I I really like this conversation because it kind of hit at a spot where we don't know a lot yet so a lot of kind of what we were talking about is perspective because we don't know whether certain teams are going to fall out but we do have an idea of if it happens where things might go and I think I wrote a piece for the Sporting News earlier this week that I think the early trade season is going to be very, very light, and part of the reason for that is just that teams don't know where they are yet. They can't really calibrate themselves within the larger framework, and it's, it's going to be exciting to see how all of that works out. And it'll take some time, you know, I, I think we won't, my instinct is we won't see much until maybe mid-January, maybe even as late as the All-Star break, but I think we will see some things later, not the huge, huge guys like DeMarcus Cousins or anything crazy like that, but you know, we'll we'll see some moves that will matter. And you can also, you can follow my work, um, I have a Facebook page now, it's Daniel LaRue MBA is the, is I guess the handle, whatever the Facebook equivalent of that is, and you can send feedback there as well. But the better ways to do that for this podcast are through Twitter, which is at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I am largely off of it right now because I'm paranoid about getting Star Wars spoilers, but starting Friday, once I see it, assuming I see it Friday, that will not be true, so you can send stuff there. You can also email me, uh, Danny LaRue, MBA. At gmail.com is an account that I set up for this kind of thing, and I, I as I say, with with Twitter and with with email, is I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. So, know that if you feedback, positive, negative, whatever, I will read it, and you know, I, I do my best to respond. I have other obligations with all my other sites, but. That is something that, you know, that I try to do, because for me, that is the way that I know what is what is off and what can be better and things like that is by, by talking with you. And I really do appreciate I've gotten some really nice feedback about the the 100th episode, both, you know, reaching 100 and the episode itself. Ben Golver is an amazing guest. And I really do appreciate that. I mean, one of the things that Nate Duncan and I talk about on Dunked On is that. You, reader reviews and things like that, let's say on iTunes is the best example. Those are things that really do affect us. And, you know, this podcast hasn't been monetized yet in the same way that his has, but that really does affect us. And, you know, making I really appreciate it if you subscribe however you do that because then you make sure you get every episode so that it keeps our download numbers up. And if if and when we get to the point with potential advertisers, that is something that matters. So. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, especially if you've listened this far to three minutes of me talking, but thanks so much. Take care and make it a great day. Old Navy for revolutionary prices on Summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on Summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.